0: Hey, how you doing? I'm an attorney, and I'm calling to see if my client was transported yet. Um, There's a hearing that we have coming up tomorrow
1: at Richland County Court. Jared Adams is sitting in a hotel room in South Carolina, and he's trying to connect with the correctional facility where his client is incarcerated. But there's a problem.
0: Is there any other place that he would be held?
1: Yeah, that's very concerning to me. Something has fallen through the cracks. Jared's client is supposed to be transported for a court appearance. And now, it's not clear where the guy is.
0: You know, he has court at 9.30 and the judge is
1: expecting him to be there. So how do we go about fixing this? The frustration of dealing with correctional facilities and the criminal justice system as a whole, it's nothing new to Jared. Yes, he's a criminal lawyer, and yes, mix-ups like this are all too common. But Jared's most profound experience with the law was trying to prove the innocence of a man who had been wrongfully imprisoned for almost a decade. Himself.
0: You know, for for so long, I was fighting for my innocence. And after getting out of prison, I wanted to be a voice and a beacon of hope for those who are exonerated like myself.
1: You're listening to Great Big Story. I'm Drew Beebe, and today we're going to hear the story of Jarrett Adams, whose current life as a criminal defense lawyer started when he found himself wrongfully imprisoned. There, having never opened a legal textbook in his life, Jared set out to prove his innocence. Our story comes to us from producer Dominique Turner.
2: When Jarrett Adams was little, he was a very curious kid.
0: I was nosy, man. Like, I asked a whole lot of questions. Like, a lot of questions. My mother would always say, you talk too much. But my grandmother would always encourage me and say, no, I'll let him ask as many questions as he wants.
2: He was born and raised on the south side of Chicago. He graduated high school in the summer of 1998 when he was 17 years old.
0: During that summer, I was gearing up, getting ready to go to college, just trying to have fun and relax before I took the next step in life.
2: One night, he and two friends snuck out the house to go to the University of Wisconsin-Whitewater.
0: We were at this party, there was a lot of drinking, there was a lot of everything that happened at parties.
2: He didn't realize until later that this night would change the course of his life.
0: It was three weeks after going to this party. I'm coming home from my little summer job and there's a card, there's a business card at my door. And the business card at my door says, robbery, homicide, contact officer, such and such.
2: Jared called a police officer on the card, and he says the officer asked him to come down to the station and said it was all routine. So Jared went there, alone.
0: And I walk into an ambush. There's, There's a police officer from Wisconsin, and this police officer from Chicago, and they're questioning me about, you know, what happened at this party.
2: A female student at the college had told police that Jared and his two friends had forced their way into her dorm room, raped her, and then fled the scene. We were totally innocent. That was an absolute and total lie. The boys insisted that anything that happened was consensual and that they never ran off, and that there was a witness who could dispute what the accuser said. But the police arrested them anyway and charged them with sexual assault.
0: And I realized very quickly early on it had nothing to do with the truth. It was about race. It was about who was accusing me and how the accused looked. And we were all black. We were accused by a white girl of rape. So no matter what we said, we were never gonna be believed. Never.
2: In Wisconsin, 17-year-olds are automatically prosecuted as adults. Jared's family couldn't afford an attorney, so he was assigned a public defender.
0: We go to trial. My lawyer convinced my family and I that a no-defense theory was the best theory of defense. It was a horrible idea.
2: The idea was the prosecution's evidence was so flimsy that he wouldn't have to present a defense during the trial at all. So Jarrett's lawyer didn't call any witnesses,
0: and it didn't work. They completely committed to a strategy that was illogical, and it resulted in me being found guilty. And me being sentenced to serve 28 years in a maximum security prison.
2: Jarrett was still just a teenager, and he was looking at being in prison until he was nearly 50.
0: Yeah, I was absolutely terrified. I mean, look, I was one of the youngest faces in that maximum security prison, about 140 pounds. You know what I mean? And I'm around a bunch of grown men. It was an out-of-body experience from the time they said guilty.
2: Making matters worse, he learned that one of the other defendants experienced a completely different outcome. Jared's friend had a separate trial and was able to hire private attorneys. The paid lawyers did call witnesses including a student at the college who contradicted a lot of the accuser's story. And that made a difference.
0: The prosecutor dismissed all the charges against my co-defendant. We're talking about the same case, being accused by the same person, and he never spent a day in prison.
2: But even after that, the prosecution didn't drop the charges against Jarrett. He had been tried separately, so the dismissal didn't apply. His 28-year sentence still stood prison would be his new reality.
0: Nothing is the same. You know, you you don't get a chance to go to sleep when you want to go to sleep. You're being told when to wake up, told when to eat. You're sharing a room with someone the size of a broom closet, where the toilet, the sink, everything is right there in the room. So I felt terrified, isolated, numb.
2: The injustice of it all, the helplessness, it started to wear on
0: him. I became dejected. I started to, to not take visits from family, not get on the phone, and just really became, you know, in a shell.
2: One day, after he had been in prison for about a year and a half, Jarrett was on the phone with his family. He was talking to them about his innocence and about his feelings of despair.
0: And once I got off the phone, I had a cellmate who's an older white dude who was in prison for two life sentences. And he told me, he said, come down for a second. You know, I just want to talk to you. I'm not trying to be all in your business, but uh, I overheard what you were saying, you know, on the phone. And I'm, and I'm just kind of confused. And I said, well, you know, why are you confused? He said, look, you know, you, you get up every day and you get out here and you play chess, you play basketball, and uh, you don't act like you're innocent. You know, innocent people, there in the law library. They're doing this, they're doing that. You know, you act like you are on a four-year college campus or something like that.
2: He told Jared that if he was innocent, he needed to go back through all the documents of his case and try to learn everything he could about how the legal system works.
0: That was like a wake-up call to me. And I started to, to try to grasp the law.
2: Instead of playing basketball, he put all his energy into proving his innocence.
0: You get a pass out of your cell, you, you go to the law library, and you pretty much try to get to the books before you know, all the other people get there. There are no computers there. So you're pretty much going through law books and law journals.
2: He studied past cases. He read about litigation in the newspaper. He wrote letters to local attorneys asking for advice. Jarrett devoted years to learning the ins and outs of the legal system, little by little. And Jarrett began to look at what his lawyer had done in a new way. Or rather, what he hadn't done. He hadn't bothered to call any witnesses. He knew there was a witness who contradicted the accuser's testimony it was right there in the police report, but the lawyer didn't bother to track him down. That could have been the difference between a verdict of guilty and not guilty.
0: All he had to do was simply hire an investigator to go talk to
2: every student,
0: every witness, every everything, right? And he didn't do it. He didn't
2: do it at all. And it was no logical reason for him not to do it. Jared started to realize this wasn't only a losing strategy. From a legal point of view, it was a violation of his rights.
0: Everyone has a constitutional right to an effective attorney. And so therefore, my constitutional right was violated
2: by not having an effective attorney. Jared could turn this argument into a federal appeal. And just maybe, it could set him free. But if he was going to do that, he needed help, fast. It was now 2004. There was a deadline to file a petition in federal court. And time was running out. So he reached out to the Wisconsin Innocence Project.
0: The Innocence Project is an organization that advocates and litigates on behalf of the wrongfully convicted. They take cases of claims of innocence and they try to prove that a person is actually innocent.
2: They looked at his case and with only 10 days left before the deadline, they agreed to take it on.
0: They said, look, we really feel like there's no evidence in your case to be to be in here. We don't understand how you are in here with 28 years.
2: In 2006, eight years after Jared's arrest, the Innocence Project argued his case to the Seventh Circuit Court of Appeals in Chicago. And then Jared had to wait for the court to make a decision. He knew the odds were against him. It's really difficult to win appeals like this, and the majority of them are rejected. Then one day, he got a call to come down to the legal phone in the prison.
0: So when I pick up the phone, you know, I'm hearing them loud in the background, I'm like, hello, they're like, oh, okay, he's on the phone. So in unison, they said, Jared, you won. You won on a very issue that you argued about the ineffective assistance of counsel.
2: The court had unanimously overturned Jared's conviction. In February 2007, after he had been incarcerated for nearly a decade, he headed back into a Wisconsin courtroom and the state dismissed all the charges against him.
0: In less than 10 minutes, the motion was filed, the judge threw down her gavel, and I was gone and released out of the courtroom. That judge never looked me in my eyes at all. And when I walked out of that courtroom, I said, you might not look at me now,
2: but you're gonna have to see me for the rest of your life. Because this was just the beginning of his journey. Jarrett wasn't done with the legal system. He was determined to become a lawyer himself.
1: When we come back, Jared confronts the challenges of picking his life back up and pursuing his ambitions in a world that looks very different from the one he left almost a decade before. That is coming up in a minute on Great Big Story.
2: The Assignment with me, Audie Cornish. Celebrities of all kinds are speaking publicly about their therapeutic
1: trips, so to speak.
2: It turns out there is a burgeoning industry ready to serve the new influx of people who find themselves turning away from traditional mental health therapy. The gap between what we know and what we don't about psychedelic therapy. Listen to The Assignment with me, Audie Cornish, on your favorite
1: podcast app. You're listening to Great Big Story. I'm Drew Beebe, and today, producer Dominique Turner is sharing the story of Jarrett Adams, who was finally released from prison in 2007 after being wrongfully convicted.
2: You can't just get your old life back after spending nearly a decade incarcerated. Jarrett was only 17 when he was arrested. Now he was an adult back home in Chicago. But it didn't look like the home he had left behind.
0: It was, it was just... It was very different. The neighborhood had dramatically changed, you know, places where I was used to being able to go and stuff like that. You know, imagine being born in a city, all your life raised and suddenly you're back and nothing is is where you remember it. So it was was really like being dropped off, you know, in outer space.
2: Jared could learn to adjust but it was impossible to make up for the time lost away from his family, including people who had passed away while he was in prison.
0: So I was there for almost a decade. One day is too long when you're innocent. So just imagine watching Christmases fly by, right? The collateral damage is the family, right? That's who it is. That's 10 years of my life that I can't get back with
2: them. Derek couldn't help but carry feelings of loss and anger at his wrongful conviction. But he says he learned to deal with that with the help of therapy. Through growth,
0: I've realized that the best thing to do with your anger is to use it as the fuel that drives you to reach goals in life.
2: Jared's goal was to get an education, and he started reaching for it almost immediately.
0: I was released in February of 2007. In May, I was enrolled in college, in May.
2: He went to a community college and got an associate's degree. Right after that, he paid his way through a four-year college, Roosevelt University in Chicago.
0: It was work. I I mean, it it really was. Like, I went to school all year around, and I worked full-time while doing it. I got up at 5 in the morning, got to work 9 to 5, did homework at work, get off work, read for class. And then I was in school from 6 to 10 o'clock for all of my college experience.
2: Fitting in on campus was a challenge too. He was older than other students, and the whole world had changed since the last time he was in school.
0: The entire technology boom happened while I was in prison. You know, 1998, if you had a cell phone, it was about as long as your arm. You know, I didn't know how to use the email. So to catch up on that was, it was kind of intimidating.
2: Jarrett never let that get to him. He graduated with high honors with a bachelor's in criminal justice, and he wasn't ready to stop there. He looked back to the countless hours he spent in prison, scouring through law books and court documents. The knowledge he picked up in the law library helped him get his conviction overturned. And maybe he could do the same for other people. He could become a lawyer himself.
0: Me coming from a place like the criminal justice system, being wronged, hearing the stories and getting to know other men who have been wronged, what better advocate could they have but myself to be able to to speak to them from a client attorney perspective as well as someone who stood for the same count, had the same number assigned to them from the criminal justice system.
2: In May 2015, Jarrett graduated from Loyola University's Chicago School of Law. And not long after, he was hired by the Innocence Project, the same organization that helped exonerate him.
0: While working with the Innocence Project, I had the opportunity to be a part of exonerating another person. And it was special to me because it was in the same state in which I was wrongfully convicted.
2: In fact, Jared had even spent time in the same Wisconsin correctional facility as his client.
0: To be able to go back in in a courtroom in the same state in which I was wrongfully convicted... And them now having to address me as an attorney, you know, it gives you a sense of I am human. You know, I am human and respect me as such. And it was, it was, a quite, it was quite the fulfilling moment to be able to have that opportunity. And now it's, it's wet my appetite to be able to experience that more and more. I finished up my uh, fellowship with the Innocence Project, and I've now opened my own law practice, the law offices of Jared Adams. Good morning, Adam. Good morning. So, we, we have been in communications with, with the state, and we've been provided documentation that evidence was submitted and where it came from and was destroyed. Only- I specialize, because of my background, on actual claims of innocence to exonerate folks of crimes that they didn't and commit. He has not only maintained his innocence through his accusation, but 13 times he's went up in front of the parole board and he's denied any involvement and he's been denied parole uh, ever since. To me, being an attorney gives me the opportunity to affect someone's life for the rest of their life, you know, and I I take great pride in being able to do that.
2: While Jared's story ends well, he was one of the lucky ones. He's part of a large population of Black people who are wrongfully convicted each year. Black people make up only 13% of the U.S. population, but more than half of the innocent people convicted of crimes and then exonerated are Black. Jarrett never loses sight of what his wrongful conviction and his years of incarceration cost him.
0: Someone asked me, you know, hey, look, if you, you think if you never would have went to prison and experienced this, would you be an attorney? And that's something that makes me pause, you know? Because who was to say that... The light wouldn't have clicked on for me very shortly, you know, after graduating from high school. I was on my way to college. Who's to say I wouldn't be already an attorney right now and have 10 years experience instead of the 10 year gap in my resume? You think I went to prison and swallowed a smart pill? Because they don't offer those there. It's not what happened at all. And so I didn't go there and get this potential. This potential was already in me.
2: But not everybody gets to realize that potential. Remember, Jarrett was one of three people arrested for the crime in 1998. One was never convicted. Jarrett spent nearly a decade incarcerated and then was exonerated. And the third defendant? After all that, he never had his charges dropped. Three Black men, accused of the same crime by the same person, with completely different outcomes. If justice can be so arbitrary, Jarrett sees that as a failure of the system, an issue that needs our attention urgently. Look, I
0: strongly believe that that the problems with our criminal justice system will only get better when we infiltrate the system, meaning more black judges, more black prosecutors, more black, young black attorneys, like young, black, knowledgeable, powerful young men changing the stereotype that, that, that we've had to deal with forever. That's what we need. And I'm hoping that my story will go to that movement.
1: In addition to his law practice, Jarrett Adams is the co-founder of a nonprofit called Life After Justice, which helps get resources for exonerees trying to reintegrate into society. And he's written a book called Justice for Sale, that's set to publish next year. The Great Big Story podcast is a production of Great Big Story and CNN Audio. This episode was produced by Dominique Turner and Evan Chung. Our executive producers are Sadie Bass and Megan Marcus. Francisco Monroy is our engineer. Raj Makija is our senior production manager. Additional production by Michael Fakier, Rodrigo Valencia, John O'Byrne, and Dave Yim. Special thanks to Katie Hinman and Ashley Lusk. Courtney Koop is our Vice President of Digital Productions, and Ashley Codiani is our Vice President of Brand and Digital Strategy. If you'd like to see Jared Adams, we made a video about him. You can watch it at greatbigstory.com. Our first season of Great Big Story is coming to a close, but we'll be back with one last story next week. I'm Drew Beebe. Thanks for listening.